Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Good morning, Beverly. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jenny. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's been a an exciting time period since we last chatted. What have you been? Oh, no, we've got a sponsor. I can't ask what you're doing yet because we have a sponsor. That's right. We do. We have the Specky Seamstress. It is so wonderful that Laura is donating a 15-pound gift certificate with free shipping anywhere in the world. And, and providing a discount code that all of our listeners can use in May for 15% off and in June for 15% off. So what's the code? And what's that code? (laughs) (laughs) Becky Frockers. Of course it is. And I love it. I know we've been chatting with Laura for some time. I followed Laura for what feels like forever. And those, um, the bias bindings that she has created are very unique, I think, within the sewing world. And additionally, she has recently, recently added matching labels and patches yeah. that are available. And of course, if you're one of our business listeners, wholesale inquiries are welcome. So you can reach out to Laura if you'd like to carry those in your store as well. Yeah. I, the thing I think is really cool is that Laura has these, um, uh, fabrics printed special so that it's printed on the bias because, you know, when we make, when we make our own bias tape, we're using, yep. you know, we, we have to use what, however it is on the bias. So, um, it's pretty cool. I, I definitely, uh, need to, uh, check some of those out because they look really cute. And I have a I have a small handful remaining on my shelf. I order periodically from Laura, um, particularly where I'm going to do a bias that's going to be fully on the inside, sort of a facing out of the bias. I bought some that has planets on it, which I think is really adorable. And there are some with positive affirmations, which I, I really love as well. So I, I think definitely... it would be really cute, the planet ones on one of your ice dyed things. It would be. On You're absolutely outside. right. Yeah. On the yeah. outside, because of the the way that some of them look very outer species. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Um, I I really appreciate everything that Laura does with this. It's it's really cute. So you should definitely be following the Specky Seamstress, if nothing else. But uh, but a purchase at 15% off in May and June, or the possibility of winning that 15 pounds worth of uh, goods from Laura is awesome. So thank you so much, Laura. We appreciate it. So what have you been sewing, Jenny? Oh my gosh, I'm fully in craft fair mode right now because East Fork, the company I work for, has a Maker's Mart that they do twice a year that they allow um, employees to participate in. In fact, it is in East in Asheville just for employees. And they don't take anything off the top. Whatever you earn is what you earn. And so I've been working on what I'm going to offer this summer. I believe it starts in June, the first weekend in June, full weekend. And I'll be making... Um, well, I've been making hot pads and coasters out of uh, a variety of fun, fun cotton fabrics and using that insole bright in the inside for the hot pads so that they're, you know, safe for, <laughs> for you to take something out of the oven with. And it's been really fun. It took a while, just like when I made coin bags and, and smaller mm-hmm. pouches last year. It took a little while to develop a, a pattern and a style of doing it that was efficient, sort of a yeah. production method. 
for getting through it. But now I've got a stack of about 40 to make, which is way more way more than I think I'll sell, but they're so addictive. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my extras yet, but I'm very excited to be making um, them. You know what I, um, I've seen a lot of at craft fairs and stuff. And I, um, is these, um, these, it's like a fabric bowl that you put under in the microwave. Those are, I think those are a good idea too. Cause people, especially because you're selling, it's pottery there, right? So. Yeah, we do sell the bowls. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. I've thought about doing those. I know that I've got I've to be really careful to make sure everything's cotton, that I've got the cotton threads, and I've got all the rest of it going with it. So I've looked at that. I haven't started that yet, but it is on my list of possibilities for sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a great time with it. What have you been up to? So I have made... Um, I've been working on something I can't quite talk about yet, but in a future episode I will. But then I also have, um, I've got, I'm making another green style adventure bag. That's just a fanny pack that, um, I made one for Jim a while ago that matched with his vest that I made him, but I'm making yeah. one out of this, uh, Gore-Tex fabric I got a while ago. And the lining is this kind of, Fun Ruby Star quilting cotton. Let me show you the pieces here, how it's going to be. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Those are lining pieces. And so they're b- very bright. So what the the main lining is this one, which is this sort of acid yellow kind of thing. I like the color. Well, <laughs> and I like it because you can see what's in your bag. Yeah. Yeah, because the bag itself is going to be dark navy blue. So... Um, I'm wanting that for our trip so that I can have, and it's basically just probably going to mostly be worn as a cross body bag in the front to protect myself from the pickpockets. Um, well, how exciting for you. I think it's a great idea to have a bag that you can wear on the front. And I have really enjoyed looking at the, the different types of bags that can be made. I have, I can see, because I cleaned up my sewing area, I can see the kit that I have for making um, one of, uh, I think it's Noodlehead's backpacks, but it may be somebody else's. And I need to get on that. Oh, yeah. I, I think th- it was an, an, a Noodlehead one that you got. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't done it yet, but I need to get to it. <laughs> yeah. What else have you been up to? Oh, I went to the Baltimore Fabric Swap. Mm-hmm. Now, there are three people on Instagram that organize this. One's Flam Makes. One of them's Laura Lee. Ugh, the third one. I don't think they listen to the podcast, so it's all right. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> they organized this fabric swap. So here's what my expectation was. My expectation was a bunch of people are going to bring some quilting cotton and I'm not going to be interested. So, but I brought, uh, but I knew that they make garments. So I brought my garment fabric. I was all um, impressed with myself, with what I was bringing. And I put it on the table and all these people keep coming and coming and coming. There were so many people and they brought <laughs> so much good stuff. One of the things I got, Jenny, was two and a half meters of and it had a tag on it from Blackbird Fabrics Tensil Twill. Wow. So, yes, it's a pain in the neck to sew with, but it's also something, you know, that makes a nice garment. So I was really excited about that. I got some really beautiful stuff. I saw Jasmine Howard was there. 
That's that so was exciting. exciting. I love Jasmine. Yes, yes. It was so nice to see her. The woman who, of course, I met some people there that um that I knew from Baltimore already, like um the sewing teacher I had, her name is she had her sewing is her uh, Instagram is Michaela sews and she's the one that's the, the hand sewing class that I took the hand quilting oh, yeah. class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She was there and um, they got some punk rocker swag. And then also um, do you remember when we, when you were here um, there was somebody that met up with us, Tina Kova. Yeah. Yeah. She was there. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was really nice. And it was just, I couldn't believe how many people were there and how, I mean, it's like, oh, there's all these people sewing in Baltimore. And it was, it was such a fun experience. I think they're going to do this. And I mean, it was amazing that they put all this on. So what, what happens to what's left over, right? They took what was left over to the Scrap Be More, which is a yeah. like a thrift store for craft supplies. And what couldn't be sold there, smaller cuts, things like that, um, they sent to the recycler. And so there was an opportunity also to donate because you have to pay to get them recycled. They get like shredded and turned into insulation and things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, they, you could, you could give them a little bit of money towards that, but the, they had to do so much work. I yeah. was like amazed that they did all that. So anyways, great experience. And I got a few fun fabrics too. That's really wonderful. I'm so glad yeah. I've, I've only participated in a swap like that. That was a smaller sewing group, maybe 15 people, 20 people. And um, yeah, it was, it was not, not quite that. Yeah. Is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. It was there were yeah, like there different. were like upholstery fabrics. There were things on like like rolls of upholstery fabric. There was notions there. There was like I thought that my little you know the 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 punk frocker swag that I had. I thought that was yeah. going to be a big star. Like this place was filled with stuff. I mean, it was like yeah. amazing. There's patterns. There's a whole table full of patterns, which in the U.S. is is interesting. I think our our friends from Europe would be really excited because, you know, for people who like big four patterns, because here they're so cheap that people buy them in way excess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've, I've bought them historically in excess and they don't even fit me. <laughs> <It's, you laughs> they two bucks, you know. It's like really hard not to buy them in excess yeah. because they're practically giving them away. But um, yeah, the one that I went to, there were a lot of big four patterns. A lot of those were, were sort of vintagey. There was nothing that would fit me. And the, the fabric lengths, almost everything was one yard or less. And oh, so there yes. just wasn't, there just wasn't a lot there for me, which is fine, but it was, it was just not, not what I had hoped for. I'd yeah. hoped to bring some things and also take some things. And, uh, My main challenge was to not leave with more than I brought. I mean, like, yeah. that's how good the stuff was. So anyways, I will properly tag them actually in our, in our show notes because they did do a lot of work. And no, that sounds amazing. And it people. sounds like I've got to come up for one of these. Yeah. If they have another one, I'll let you know. Yeah. You can bring a truckload of stuff that you don't want. Oh my goodness. I'm sure I could. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so wonderful. what are our new patterns this week? 
Well, I want to start by talking about the birdie shirt by Stocks Patterns. Now, this is one of Lindy's patterns, and it's a blouse that started with just really, really full sleeves. Um, the description that St Stocks offers is this sweet blouse started with the sleeves, or should that be wings? This pattern piece starts as a sleeve and spirals into a cape at the back, either flared or square like a kerchief. Both sleeve options allow for movement and float over the shoulders. And I know for you, one of your most important thing is movement over your shoulders and being yes, able to move. That's true. Now, I'm not convinced that wings that turn into a cape are what you're looking <laughs> for, but these aren't big. They're not puffed in any way. They're not even gathered at the arm size. Uh, sorry, at the sleeve cap, seemingly. Yeah. They're and just so flared. It looks like you also have the option to have a more traditionally looking just fluttery sleeve. Like the yeah, yeah, absolutely. That looks that isn't as squared. Yes, absolutely. And, and there for, are two collar options as well. There's a squared, oh, yeah. like a curved sort of collar, not not Peter shawl. Pan curved because it's coming down in a V. Yeah, a shell collar or um a handkerchief and a third if you decide to go collarless. And it's Is a seven-footed blouse. There is a collarless version. It's just not photographed or drawn. Oh, and a third if you decide to go colorless. I yes. get it. The handkerchief. That one's called handkerchief. That It looks like a really yeah. wide, really Square. wide. I like that one. I like that one, that handkerchief. Yeah, one. and it's semi-fitted and cut away at the backside. So it also includes a bonus backside piece suitable for a sleeveless version. So Ooh. it's got all the things you could possibly want, Beverly. Like yeah. enough mix and match pieces that it could have something for everyone, even folks who don't like a statement sleeves. So I and thought that also was I wanted to note, uh, in case our listeners um, come to this through the uh, website, the image shows um, the sizing. It says size zero to 12. This is uh, not 12 as in like, uh, yeah. like traditional that they go well through our size range. So go it's, it's yeah. It's a, it's a little complicated on some of their garment pages. They include the body size, but on all of them, they include f finished measurements and anticipated ease. So you can make decisions about how you'd what size you'd like to make yeah. for the ease you'd like to have. Um, so it gets a little bit tough to find the sizing. They Everything seems to go up at least a few inches in finished measurements beyond our body measurement requirement. And so mm -hmm. it just depends on how, like with a semi-fitted garment, <laughs> where where the waist is a 58 inch finished or whatever that's definitely exceeds our yeah our requirements because it's a semi-fitted garment with a anyway but uh but for me it's a little complicated when i look at the stocks website to okay. understand the specific body measurements they when you go off and find their information on sizing they note that some but not all include body measurement in the patterns and this is one that only includes finish not body so oh Okay. But in my experience, yes, absolutely. Everything that, that I've seen from them does exceed. It just isn't always quickly. And yeah, it's just the, their own numbering system, not like a, a standard size 12. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. The next one you have here is this Kamas Codigan by Sageville, which I'd never heard of. And yeah, this I've has a max 64-inch hip. I, now, I will be honest. I think part of what I love about it is the actual fabric being used to make this garment, which <laughs> yeah. can be a little bit complicated. But it is a, um, it's a thick, it's something that can be made from a thick woven or knit fabric. It features drop, easy fit sleeve that can be hemmed or cuffed, along with lots of fun pocket options, two band widths and two hem lengths. So this is um, basically looks to me like an A-line 
drop sleeve, drop shoulder pattern for a cardigan. And in the front, you can, you can use a pin to hold it together or you can leave it hanging free in the breeze as a cardigan slash coat again would be intended to be. And they've suggested making it uh, in thick flannel, Sherpa, plush minky, stretch twill, and even denim. French cherry and ponte are also good options for a flower, flowier, lighter weight coat again. So Je- uh, Jenny <laughs> just invented a new fabric called French cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, fine. Maybe some people call it Terry, whatever. <laughs> I was up past midnight. It's just a thing that's going to happen at this point. (laughs) Okay. The next one we have is sure to be a popular pattern. It is from Friday Pattern Company. It's called the Donnie shirt. It's a boxy pull-on top that is designed to be a workhorse in your wardrobe. It is a dartless top with a lapel collar and patch pocket. So the way this comes together reminds me so much of the uh, uh, of another pattern that I can't talk about. Sorry. Um, anyways, it's <laughs> you can cut that out. Um, no, I'm so not going to cut that out. This is a um, it's like a camp collar, sort of uh, Gilbert top style uh, shirt, but it's not open in the front. It's um, you know, there's a seam in the front and um, it's cute in the back. There's a gathered at the yoke it has a yoke and scattered. I think it's really a cute top and I think lots of people will like it. I think it is adorable. Can I say on the line drawing how absolutely weirdly tiny the patch pocket looks? It does actually, you know, but I'm when you look at the garments, it doesn't look weirdly tiny like that. Like it, well, it kind of does on the, on the larger body. Like as if they may not have done a lot of sizes of the pocket. Maybe not. <laughs> so I also matter how think big the pocket, are. like I don't think I would use the pocket. It looks a little weird anyway. <laughs> don't you think? I I mean it's unusual to me, but my dad always wore garments that had that one pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean front. that it's not that that the garment the garment shouldn't have that one pocket. It looks weird on this one, I think, a little bit. No yeah, shade to sure. Friday Pattern Company. You could put it on or not. If you don't think it's weird, then you put it on there. But um, yeah, I just I just thought it looked weirdly small on the drawing. <laughs> yeah, it looks weirdly small on the drawing, and maybe a little large on the on the uh, on the model. So I don't know. Yeah, I no no idea what size that is, but it sounds fun. Okay. The next one we've got is True Bias's Laura dress, L O R A dress, which is an empire waist dress that has four possible views. All of them, though, have underbust gathers and a self-lined bodice. And this is my favorite piece that I would never, ever do. 12 loop buttons along the center front. What? Yeah. No. First off, <laughs> change that to an exposed zipper. Just start right there because that would be so much fun. And it'd have to be separating, obviously. But change it to an exposed zipper and that'll be much better. And oh my God, if you did an exposed zipper that had the zips could come from either end. Oh yeah, I know. I think there could be a lot of fun there. Anyway, view it could be dangerous too. <laughs> it could be. When you sit down. <laughs> I mean, I think life is meant to be lived dangerously. So views A and C have a half inch spaghetti straps at the shoulders, while B and D have Beverly's favorite long puff sleeves. <laughs> the dress is fitted through the waist and hips and has a straight fit skirt for views A and B, and C and D have a ha- are hemmed 
Oh, sorry. B, A and B are above the knee. C and D are above the ankle. It's, I, I think it's beautiful. I think it is a beautiful design. Um, I'm really, I, I really like it. And I like how they have it styled with uh, solid colored linen. One, one thing I appreciate is when designers don't, I don't like when they use heavily print fabric for their photos because it's hard to see what. It's what hard is to see the out. lines. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's gorgeous. What do you think of it? I, I think it's gorgeous as well. Um, I'd be interested in more weirdly in the spaghetti straps than I would be in the big puff sleeves, although I'm obviously a puff sleeve fan. Well, also, um, we're going into summer, so that's probably influencing it, too. That might as well. Um, the narrow skirt makes me a little bit nervous because I always struggle with that huge difference between waist and hip for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not anything against the design. I think it's a great design. And it yeah. looks different than a lot of things we've seen, especially because it does have the um, loop buttons that I would never in a million years uh, actually sew up for this. That's, that's a very unique feature I think it me. looks. I think it looks really cool. And you could um, also... So what I've done sometimes on loop buttons is use like um, ponytail elastic. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't have to do those loopy things and it wouldn't really show. That's true. Yeah. But I'd also but it, probably sew the front closed because. Or ribbons. Yeah, that's true. That Ribbon could be really pretty. Yeah. It's a very nice looking garment. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. <clears throat> this next one. I picked out, I don't really know how I came in contact with this. I've never heard of this company. It's called Solala. And mm-hmm. um, the top is called a Mara top and it's up to a 61 inch hip. So this has got, I picked this out because mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a hundred percent me. I would make this all day long. <laughs> yes. So this is a top. It's a knit top. Um, right. And it has. So I'm just going to use their words. Okay. It's a comfortable modern top that offers two different sleeve options. Sleeve A is a contemporary interpretation of a romantic puffed sleeve in which the fabric is not kept in the classic way, but rather gets its volume in the shoulder through sophisticated folds. The B sleeve shows a sportier side with a boxy silhouette and emphasis on the shoulders. You'll have to look at the pictures. The one looks, it does like the, the, the B one looks much, it ha- has almost like masculine structure and the A one is more feminine structure, I think. Is that? Yeah. On, on the B one, on A, it's like the, um, so explicit, uh, Eve that, uh, Eva pattern where, or Ava pattern rather, where it's, where it's, uh, done by building folds in horizontally going up the, the sleeve tab. Uh, okay. And B looks like it's almost like a, box pleat or inverse box pleat, whichever one that is at the top of your shoulder. Yeah. And it almost reminds me of how you put together those boxy, like an, on a bag on the yeah, bottom. Of the absolutely. Bag. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a lot what that looks like. And it's, it's really interesting. And I like that the neckline, there's a version of it. That's a little bit lower, which is usually what I'm looking for in a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this one and yeah. I love it in the, the stripe that they've shown, but I also love it in the, the pattern solid that they show. Yeah. It's, it looks like this would be a very versatile, garment when you got done with it that it could be yeah. made out of a variety of different fabrics and worn in a whole bunch of different ways it would definitely look amazing under coveralls or overalls rather and things like that um yeah under a pinafore 
That'd be really cute. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's our new patterns for today. And we're right now in the middle of PF sewing adjacent, which means we're not going to talk as much about sewing today, although it'll probably come up. It's just that's (laughs) not our specific topic. Today, we're going to learn about each other's hobbies. Yeah. So it'll be fun. What we're going to talk about today is um, Jenny's ice dyeing, and we're going to talk about um, this art journaling that I do, which I don't actually think of as a hobby, but it is, um, I suppose. It's something I do for free that's creative, so... Um, <laughs> is that how we define hobby? I think that's a good working definition. I just hadn't thought about it. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess hobbies don't have to be creative, though, but um, like... Well, anyways, we're not going to get into that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think if we do, we're going to find a lot of things that we don't think of as creative because they're not traditionally held in creative spaces that people doing them think of as creative. (laughs) Well, like I'm thinking like, isn't golf a hobby? It is. I don't think of that as creative. Do you, does anyone? Well, I, I don't think of sporting things typically as creative. Right. But the first one that came to my mind was jujitsu because my ex-son-in-law and his fiance are both very into that. And I thought, you know, I bet if I told them that wasn't creative, they would come at me and tell me it actually is super creative. Really? <laughs> so, okay. You know, that there's that there's a finesse to it that involves you putting your literal spin on things, right? Like, Hmm. That you're, but anyway, I don't know because I don't have those hobbies. Those are okay. Well, <laughs> we don't have, we running. don't have to take it away from them if they want to say it's creative. That's fine. But you're you're running. Probably most people don't think of running as creative. Right? Yeah, right. Most it's people not. think of it as agony and not a hobby. No way. Yeah, um, I don't think of it as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a have to, not a want to. <laughs> Um, anyway, we're going to talk about these things and, uh, I guess I'll, I'll start by asking you some questions about your journaling because if, if you go back and look through Beverly's feed, and I think you have to go a little ways back right now because, uh, she hasn't posted as much. Um, there are, there are journal pages that appear from time to time that are to my eye, they're often some sort of central image, but not always a central image. There may be smaller images throughout the page, and then there's writing everywhere. And the writing may change direction. It's it's got a it's got that that beautiful loopy quality or jaggy quality, and I don't quite know what to call it, but this quality of the writing that I associate with inspirational posters, <laughs> like with the kind of thing where you're like, this is this is something that. I'm supposed to look at and feel about like there should be an emotion attached okay. to it, even without reading the words. So like your words could be, um, I walked the dog today and then I took a nap, but the way that they look on the page evokes a kind mm. of emotion. And I am so fascinated by this because I have zero of the artistic bones in my body that would allow me to create something like it. So I've always been really interested. So tell me what is gratitude journey journaling? So um, one of the things that that is recommended for people in recovery is to create gratitude lists. And, you know, people have different opinions about that. And I don't I'm not really interested in their opinions about it. For me, it's a uh, um, the gratitude lists were a way to start my day in gratitude instead of in resentment. And um that is very important for my recovery. So 
I started that way, but um, I quickly found that I would prefer to make a make something. And actually, I was inspired by I listened to another uh, uh, recovery podcast. It's no longer um, recording called The Unruffled. And I recommend anybody who's in, especially if you're in early recovery and you want some um, inspiration, The Unruffled podcast has lots of great guests and stuff on there. But one of the people, uh, Tammy Salas, who was on that, does um, art journaling for her gratitude list every day. And I thought, oh, this is very interesting. And so I started out with just, just a little bit of like, watercolor paint and writing a list on it. And I quickly found that I, it was, it became so much more intriguing to me to make yeah. these lists when there was a creative component to it. So that's how I got started on it. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. I, I think that's, I think that's a really neat path into it. Um, so what kind of supplies do you need? I know you mentioned the watercolor, a little bit of watercolor, and I assume watercolor paper. I <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. Um, I use, um, so that's another thing. So that's really interesting because I started out with just a piece of paper, like a piece of okay, like regular paper, and I didn't care what it like. Kind of printer like. paper? Yeah, like just okay. regular paper. That's not ideal for watercolor. Um, so I ended up with these little notebooks that you can get watercolor paper ones, but mine are mixed media ones. Um, and then, so I, I, the process that I would have with it is that I would usually have some kind of idea. Sometimes not like sometimes one of my favorite things to do with watercolor, if you've never played with watercolors, you should, because you can make something interesting and not be good at it. And that's why I did it. So you you can put down a drop of water and then you can take your watercolor, um, you know, paints and dab it in there and just watch the paint go, which is kind of fun. Um, so you can do whatever you want with that. So that and pens. That was it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I've definitely played with watercolors. I never felt like I hit a point where where I made anything interesting with it, but, but, but I had, I had fun with it. I mean, I think they are. And I think that it Hmm. makes it interesting easier because I wrote on top of it. Right. So it doesn't matter what the, what the painting is. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because as, as you know, I'm going to retire to Mexico. And one of the things we did a couple of weeks ago, I swear this relates is we bought a bunch of like giant um, totes, to put things in, to, mm-hmm. to start sort of loading up things that are going to make the trip to Mexico, which includes a couple of art boxes that I've received from Jim. It includes the wonderful embroidery that you made for me. And it includes, I walked out to my husband and said, I have a problem. I was cleaning up my sewing room and I found all of my old watercolor art supplies, mm. which took up a very large bin. And I'm like, I have a problem, but I've gotten it down to sort of a six by nine zipper bag of watercolor supplies that I purchased for the purpose of taking on hikes, Mm. being able to hike to a waterfall, fill a little container with water and sit and play with my paints. And I never really did this because I felt uncomfortable in public spaces trying to do this. There was an embarrassment factor that came up Mm -hmm. for me. 
But when I found these and I was looking at what I was going to donate and how I was going to get rid of these supplies, I thought, but I, but I'm moving to a beach community and I will be retired. (laughs) Surely these are things I ought to take with me. And he goes, can't you just buy them there? And I said, I don't know, because I've got like, I've got interesting supplies. I have this um, paper book that someone put together that has paints on the pages Mm. that you can just have water and and lift off of the pages and that's mm-hmm. a it's a japanese art supply that i i got gifted by someone in japan and so it just felt like i should i should pull them aside and take them because they feel precious even though i've never successfully used them but i'm now immediately thinking what if i use them in a journaling manner when i move yeah. because as much as i'm excited about this there's going to be some anxiety and some other things to work through yeah on a trip like that so that's interesting. Yeah. So you, I, you know, I may end up trying to actually do something with this when I'm in a country where I don't, I don't think I'll feel the pressure of public eyes on me in the same way. Mm, yeah. And it's also, um, yeah. And I also think like, I would tell people if they're interested in trying this, like you could use a kid's 50 yes. cent watercolor kit, you know, this is, this is, this is low risk. I will tell you, I don't think there are any 50 cent kits anymore. I, <laughs> I'm i pretty sure you're still talking. Well, like it's a tar- this- Target dollar spot, right? You could probably buy one for $3 yes. at yeah. that spot. And, and you can also but- go to your, um, I bet you you can get something real cheap if you have a local um, recycled art supply store. Absolutely. And I think your thrift shops will also have some kits and other things like that that are kid supplies. And I agree with you. There's a quality difference that can exist between all of the media. Oh, there's a total difference in quality. But who cares? You're starting off, you're learning a thing. And it's it's like with your sewing. You don't start with Merchant Mills fabric usually. You're going to start with something that's a lower quality fabric as you're learning on. So that's a solid point. What does it look like when you take the time to gratitude journal? Paint us a picture, so to speak, of of what it looks like in that moment. Well, I'll tell you, it used to be that I would get up very early every day and I would, um, it was dark out a lot of times. Like that's that's the feeling I had is that it would be dark. Um, I get up in the dark every day anyways, but um, it, it was, I could just, you know, it's kind of like padding down to my, get my coffee, pad down to my table, you know, and I just <laughs> sit and paint something. Now, generally what I would do is I would um have something from the day before that I had painted and I would write on that one. Oh, okay. New one, because that's the problem with watercolors. It needs to dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so when you say you would pad down, I just have to ask, are you wearing slippers? Mm, are you a socks person or a slippers person? Uh, socks. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just Actually, curious. I, 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 hand knit socks is usually what I'm oh, wearing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Cause knitting is another one of your wonderful hobbies. Yeah. That's true. It is. So, okay. um, yeah, I would take the, go down and just have some quiet time to myself. And actually, you know, I, this practice has, has kind of, um, a little bit gone away because, well, a lot gone away because I, um, it's because I get up early and I go to the gym and um it's like do I want to get up an extra and it's you know so much earlier so I have to kind of fit this in because it is I tend to be an anxious person 
I tend to be a person that um, gets asked up about things, you know, and yeah. this kind of practice does center me. So I, I kind of need a little bit more of that in my life. Yeah. Are there other spaces you could fit it in that aren't the first thing in the morning? Is this the, is this the sort of thing that like one of my visions for painting has always been that I might have a, a smaller bag or book that I could carry around in a bag with me mm-hmm. and could use at different times during the day, like that I could drag out at lunchtime at work, or I could do these other things with. But again, for me, that that idea of other people seeing what I'm doing has really slowed me a lot down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, another thing that that is a good idea for this, in my case, maybe not for everyone, is because um, to me, the meditative part about it is mostly in the writing and not in the painting. The painting yeah. is sort of the background for that, although both things are good. And it's possible for me to do several of them ahead and then yeah. have the book to just write in. And I could do that sort of like take some time on my lunch hour and, you know, reflect on what I'm grateful for. Yeah. And so there might might be other ways that it could be pulled in as a practice. And I'm I'm really the more you talk about it, the more I'm really loving this as an idea for my retirement. Truly, it sounds like it would just be wonderful to create a bunch of backgrounds and then as yeah. I needed it during the week to to share some things on them. So yeah, that's really, really cool. So what what lights you up about this? What makes this that kind of a joyful thing you wanted to continue for a time, even if you're struggling to put it in now? Well, for me, it's it is the the slowing down. It's the yeah. slow and it's the I'll tell you another thing. Um I think I may have mentioned this on this podcast before this, you know, this one very mean boy in, in third grade has really affected my whole life that he saw I was left-handed and he said, I would always have ugly handwriting. And so I have my whole life strive to have beautiful handwriting. And so and you me, do. thank you. So, um, the poor kid said it probably just to be mean, like, you know, as kids do and, never had knew what impact it would have on me but the um marking with my hands making marks on paper is really you know the thing that that's that gives me that meditative feeling so yeah that's wonderful i was going to ask you why your handwriting is so lovely that was genuinely <laughs> going to be a thing i wanted to find out more about now i feel sad that it comes from a place of hurt but I'm I it it is really lovely, lovely handwriting. Um, Thank you. It, it genuinely the way I described it at the beginning to me that's I hope it didn't sound like an insult. It was a no. compliment. I yeah. I view it as like like the things you'd find on something that that you could go buy. <laughs> like it's the you know it's a kind of handwriting that's idealized to me. So it's really really lovely. And would you recommend this practice to others? Oh, of course I would. Of course I would. It's and it's also one of the things I think that's it's a uh, economically uh, accessible to people. Yeah. You know, compared to a lot of different things. And um, I think if you want to do it for kind of spiritual reasons, like I did, or if you want to do it to play with paint, it's it's a fun hobby. And I think you'd be surprised at how easy it is to make something interesting to look at if you just paint it and then you write on top of it. 
there's something interesting about it. Yeah. Um, just because there's writing on top of painting. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, it, it feels so to me, it gives the feeling of something that I could definitely do, mm-hmm. even though I'm pretty sure that when I do it, I'll feel like, oh my God, I can't do this at all. <laughs> it's not as beautiful as my handwriting's not as marvelous and all these other things, but I don't think that part matters. No, it doesn't. It's, you can get in your head about stuff like that, but that's also like sewing, right? You can get in your yeah. head about whether or not what you're making is as good as or as interesting as when that doesn't matter, that comparative. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so I recommend go go play with some paint and paper, and it's very low risk. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget to tag Beverly when you do. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) and punk frockers. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Yeah, sewing adjacent, right? PF sewing adjacent. PF sewing adjacent. Okay, that's wonderful. So now let's talk about Jenny's Einstein because I think this is actually much more sewing adjacent. (laughs) It is. It is pretty straightforwardly sewing adjacent. That's true. Um. So, you know, I I have been with you on this process, but I still can't remember how you got into this. I I think it really was as simple as coming across someone on my feed, like Instagram just threw up for me, someone doing ice dyeing. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting because I would love to dye, but I don't really want to dye things solids and I hate tie dye. So what's mm-hmm. my other option? Even though ice dyeing is really just tie dyeing with some fanciness thrown in, but it's <laughs> tie dye, right? Because for the most part, most people are tying things up before they're yeah. doing it. It's not, it's not that it isn't tie dye, but when I think of tie dye, I think of Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead and the bright colors and t-shirts and, you know, like there's a specific thing that I think of tie-dyeing as being that I'm not. That's not my vibe, generally speaking. It's not the kind of thing I like. But I I do like batiks and other Mm -hmm. things like that. But doing resist dyeing with wax, which I did when I was much, much younger, that's a that's that is a whole process. There's a whole lot of effort involved in doing that and then removing the wax to be prepared for being Mm -hmm. able to use that fabric in another way. So that was right off the table. And when I started seeing these videos on Instagram, which are like people doing just artistry that I can't even imagine coming close to, it's it was so intriguing that I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a go. I wonder how much dyes are. And I went off to Dharma Trading Company and discovered that they're really inexpensive. Now, shipping is an absolutely wild process with Dharma there. It's relatively pricey to me. Like every time I get done and I look at my cart and I'm like, I'm ready to go. And then the shipping charge shows up and I'm like, Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm starting to get that as part of my mental process. But when you, when you head over there and you take a look at it, I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't actually that expensive to get into. And in true me fashion, I ordered my dyes, went straight to Joanne and bought some writ dyes to try it with first. Okay. And how did that work? Hated them. Um, I I came back from that thinking they everything was too light. It didn't, nothing was brilliant enough. It all felt like very faded versions of what I was looking for. And I don't know, like I just bought the dyes that were for cottons. Uh-huh. Like, that's all I did was yeah. I bought what should have been the appropriate style of dye. And I've seen people with better results, including, um, what is Jerry's Instagram handle? Do you remember? Jer- oh, you mean, um, 
Yeah, I don't remember. I'm going to try and look it up and stick it in the show notes. But Jerry on Instagram from Israel mm-hmm. does really amazing dyeing with Rit. Same styles of dyeing, mm-hmm. but does them with Rit dyes. Okay. And they come out very, very richly. I, I think she now does Dharma and other things as okay. well, Procyon. But a lot of hers originally, when I found her, were being done with Rit dyes. And she had much better results than I did with the Rit. For hmm. me, the writ just didn't stay in the fabric richly enough. And it's not that it continued to fade. It was mordanted correctly, which is the way you prepare the fabric by soaking it in advance so that it will accept the dye as a permanent dye. And I, I bought that. I was disappointed. And I thought, oh, crap, when the Dharma dyes come in, I am going to be so sad because I, I did spend money on it. You know, yeah. I, I probably spent $50 to buy my initial set of dyes with the shipping and all the rest of it. But when the Dharma dyes came in, and these are Procyon's um, fiber reactive dyes for natural fibers, so natural plant-based fibers. Okay. So you can use linen, you can use cotton, you can use um, rayon and other things like that, but not, it won't work on silver wool. Okay. Yeah. So when they came in and I used them the first time and did my rinsing, I was like, oh my gosh, these are so intense. The colors are so intense. I was so happy. I was so happy, but I was also like, but what the hell will I do with these? (laughs) Because I don't know what to make them into, but I was very excited by it. The fabric was just exciting. So when you um, do this, so you mentioned mordanting. Let's just talk about what the process is. Like Absolutely. To start to finish kind of thing. So for me, I, I have bought um, five-gallon buckets from Home Depot and from um, Firehouse Subs, which sells their five-gallon pickle buckets. Mm-hmm. And they're actually cheaper than the Home Depot ones. But I bought these five-gallon buckets. And I start by filling the bucket about a third of the way to halfway with warm water. And I put in half a cup or so of my mordant, which will have when you buy it on it. And mine's soda ash. Um, it'll have when you buy it or you can find instructions on the internet about what your proportions are. But I'll be honest, I'm not super specific about it. I, I, When I say I put in about half a cup, what I mean is I cut the corner off the bag and I pour in what I think is about half a cup okay. into about a third to half filled. You know what I mean? It's, uh-huh. it's not nearly specific or much more specific than that. And I'm buying my mordant right now from Dharma, but it is the same thing as washing soda. When you buy powdered washing soda, it's just that powdered washing soda is um, more dilute, the the amount of it. So you need much more of it to have an equivalent amount of the soda ash. But you can buy that in most grocery aisles at your stores in the United States, at least. So you have a different path when you're ready to die and you go, crap, I forgot to get my soda ash. You've got a chance of picking it up at your local grocery store. So basically, you need this the fabric to be in an alkaline state. Oh, is that what that means? See, I have yeah. no idea. You know my hobby better than I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, you. So you you get that in there. It's weird because I would have assumed that was basic, but anyway. yeah, basic is alkaline. Oh, see, and I didn't know that either. Science, yeah. not my jam. Um, but yeah, I I you do that. You get it all mixed up. And I I've purchased utensils that are just used for my dyeing, mm-hmm. and so I have a big big spoon from the dollar general or whatever that I use for mm-hmm. stirring it up. And then um, I let that sit for about 20 minutes to make sure it's all mixed in, checking it for a bit. And then I put my fabric in and I put my fabric in to the limit of what it will absorb. 
Mm-hmm. The uh, the water amount that it can absorb or until the bucket is full, whichever comes first, is sort of the attitude towards it. And you want to leave it soaking, fully soaking. So I'm using my spoon to push the fabric, which is usually, even if I'm not doing a specific pattern of tying with elastics or with ribbon or rope, I am probably scrunching my fabric up and running some elastic around it just to keep it in a scrunched state. Okay. So you can you can prepare your fabric like you would for tie-dye where you just do a bunch of concentric circles of elastic mm-hmm. or you can prepare it like you might for shibori or other types of dyeing where you do intricate folds and you might stitch through them or you might tie them really tightly together or compress them with a vise or all kinds of things, right? And there's an unending list of possibilities if you just Google sort of how to fold fabric for dyeing, you're going to find 10,000 ways you can do this. you do this folding before you do the mordening? I do. I do the folding oh. first. And that means that when I go to morden, I use my spoon to hold things under while the bubbles come up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because as long as bubbles are coming up, it's not wet to the middle yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's critical, right? You want the morden to go all the way through. When you have these folded, that actually, if there's less mordant getting there, that's okay. Because... That's where you don't want dyed. It it is okay, but even if the mordant gets through to it, the dye isn't going to. Okay. It depending on how you folded it. Okay. And I've got some examples that I'll be able to post pictures of soon that just came out of my dryer the last couple of days where I did where I took three or four yards of fabric and accordion folded it um, Mm -hmm. across its across its length. So I have 58 inch wide fabric that I have accordion folded along three or four yards. And then I took those accordion folds and folded them again, accordion style the other way and used rubber bands on them. So I ended up with a compressed square, which means that all of the edges that are available for the dye were thoroughly dyed and all of the interior was less thoroughly dyed, even though it was fully mordanted, fully wet all the way through. Okay. And so you get, you just get interesting results. Like what yeah. I view as unpredictable results. I think that Jerry, the the dyeing that she does completely predicted it looks like, like she's got such control over this. I do not in any way have control over this. It is, it is for me, every time I unwrap a fabric, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I, I have no idea what's going yeah. to happen. So so you do this, you put them in, and I, I hold them down until they quit bubbling and they stay sunk. Because mm-hmm. until then, yeah. they just float, right? Until they're yeah. fully heavy with the water. And I stick them in there. They stay for 30 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And during that 30 minutes, I'm probably opening my freezer and saying, oh, crap, I forgot to pick up ice. <laughs> and then running out to the store and picking up ice. There's a fighting chance I'm doing that. And if not, I'm probably starting to look at my dyes. Now, mm-hmm. I buy the Procyon dyes from Dharma Trading Company. And if you just Google dyes for ice dyeing, whatever fabric substrate you have, probably in the U.S., Dharma Trading Company is going to have a link for you and is going to take you right to the page that you should go to to buy the dyes you need for Mm -hmm. that. The ones that I buy with Dharma, they have two different types of dyes. One of them, um, they're all in the same list of colors, though. Some of those dyes are one type of grain. So powder, it's a bunch of different individual molecules, or not molecules, but mm-hmm. grains of dye, right, of, of powdered dye. And for some of them, 
it's one color makes up the whole jar. Mm -hmm. And for others, 15 colors might make up the whole jar. And if you were to take this dye and mix it up in a pot and put it on your stove and cook the dye into something, it would be one color. Right. But if you sprinkle it on the fabric or on the ice, and you can do either one of those things, it is going to split. So you're going to see all of the different colors that make up that that color bloom out in their own way. So if you've seen the ones that I make, you'll see, like I, I might do something out of a shiitake mushroom, which would, if you did it all by itself, be sort of a taupey brownie gray color. But if you do it where you put it on ice and it's blooming out, you might have some purples, some grays, some blues, a little bit of sort of a pinkish color, taupey color, and things like that that bloom from it and leave you with bursts of different colors on your garment, if that makes sense. So they've got those two types of dyes, pure dyes and um, separating dyes, basically. It seems like ice dyeing is like, you know, designed to use the the separating dyes, right? Like I agree with you. It, right. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you. That's my preference, but mm-hmm. I do have some that are non-separating. There are a lot, blues don't separate well, and I like blues. And so I have like a strong navy that I really love that separates into a couple of navy colors, like mm-hmm. some darker colors that are a little different mm-hmm. to each other, but not super different. But it's a really nice one to mix because that's the next step for me as I I mix a lot of my stuff. It'll be, oh, well, I'm going to try Magenta Galaxy along with Outer Space. And then I'm going to throw in some baby pink and see what happens and decide how I want to sprinkle dyes onto things. So once you've got your stuff all soaked and ready to go, you're going to put on your gloves anytime you're touching your um, mordant bucket right? Because you don't want all that all over your hands. You're going to want wash your hands quickly if you get a bunch of uh, this basic stuff on it because it'll it's not good for your hands. <laughs> and I'm going to, I wring things out just slightly. I leave them in the form they're in. However, I've rubber banded them, but I pick them up, let them drip back into the bucket, sort of press them to try and wring out a little bit of the moisture. And then I put them wherever it is I'm going to dye them. And for me, my setup, I have two different styles of setup. One is that I have large plastic buckets that I've put window screens over. Okay. And so I just went to um, Habitat for Humanity's Restore Store and bought secondhand window screens. Okay. And I bought them to be a little bigger than the tops of my buckets. And they cost me between 5 and $10 a, a screen. And they're in the frames, right? Like you could put them into a window that Uh was the right shape, but I'm Uh using them over my buckets. And then the other setup I have are these metal strainers you can buy that are intended to go over your sink. So they have handles that telescope out to Ah. fit across many sink sizes. And I use those as well, hanging over a bucket. Okay. The reason I bought those, those were my first buy, was because... They have sides, right? They're a strainer. And the ability to take my wrapped up thing and set it into a bucket that strains felt good. I like that. And I mound my ice over it, right? With the flat screen, I have to build a barricade for my ice or I need way more ice because the ice will roll off of the lump of your fabric. 
Okay. And so I build my, my barricades in the way that I expect most people could who are shoppers. I use the boxes that come to my house when I, I ship. I, I use those. I deconstruct them to build a barricade around whatever it is I'm making. And I can reuse those a couple of times. But once the dye has been absorbed fully into the inside and outside walls of it, if I reuse it, that dye is going to transfer yeah, wherever yeah, yeah. the fabric touches, right? So that's what I do. And so once you've got it into a place where you could safely mound ice on it, you have a choice to make. Are you going to put the dye on the garment or the fabric? Or are you going to put the dye on the ice? Okay. I think you get more precise control over where the colors go if you put it directly onto the garment. And it's more random if you don't. And so um, I've made a few recently where the t-shirts I've put on my feet in the last month were um, several of them were direct application of dye to the shirt. So I made one that looks like a starburst going out of different colors. Like it starts at the center, I think with a red or a pink and it goes out to an orange and a yellow and a green like that. That one I did with direct application on the shirt, the shirt I had wrapped up and it became like a sausage and I just went from one end to the other, putting dye in between where the rubber bands were. So like every set of rubber bands got a new color in between them. Okay. And cool. that had that particular result. And then I took that and I mounted just a ton of ice on top of it because I wanted to make sure there was enough melting water to drive the dye all the way through the garment. Okay. Right. And that's what the ice is for, is it's going to take your dye particles and help them travel through. And the pieces that you just sprinkled it on, they're going to be saturated already. So there's a lot of active pigment that's available to dye something mm -hmm. that's going to continue to go through to pieces of fabric that haven't yet been saturated with dye. Okay. Did that so make the sense? the outer ones will be darker, probably. Um, they might or might not. It depends on, I put, I put a ton. I am not skimpy okay. with my dye. And so there's, in the case of mine, I think it all looks equally dark, I but see. I put a ton on there and then I mound a huge amount of ice. And when I come back out, cause I check it during the day, if I look and my ice is halfway melted, but I look at the garment and I can already see that the bottom side is still white, for example, mm -hmm. I'm probably going to mound some more ice on there okay. because it may need just more water dripping okay. through it. Right. The other way to do it is to just mound your ice on it and use a spoon. And of course, you're wearing a, a mask during all of this. One of the um, like masks you'd use for painting. Mm -hmm. They can be the disposable painting masks, but you're wearing something like that on your, because the powder, you don't want that in your lungs. Yeah. Basically. I want so, pretty lungs. <laughs> I mean, they would be lovely, I'm sure, but I think problematic. Okay. And so I use a spoon and I distribute the powder on top of ice for the other way I do it. And that's how I've done most of mine. I only just the past month started putting it directly on fabric. Prior to then, everything I've done has been on the ice. And you get less precise control because you don't know how that piece of ice melting is going to distribute the color. And for those, I'm usually pretty random. I'll be like, here are the four ones I'm going to use. So I take my spoon and I'm just like, that's on the eye. You know, I just wiggle yeah. my arm over it and every section of it's going to get every color. There's not, I'm not very discerning usually in those. I'm just hoping for the best. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I do most often dye yardage, not garments. And that's partly because I worry 
that I'm going to end up with a piece of it where I'm like, that's terrible for whatever reason. It's too white. It has too much dye. It looks too much like a bullseye and might've ended up right over my boob and things like that. Right. So Mm -hmm. I do the yardage because I can pick better with it. That's smart. Um, So yeah. Interesting too. Like it, it it does create two different effects, right? Because when it's, when you have, if you have something that's already a garment, then the dye is more like it's uniform. Yeah. You can see the process continue. Yeah. 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 Wherever your seams are, it's not different. So this sounds like, I mean, I know that, that it's this process that usually comes out beautiful, but it also sounds like there could be failures, like where things come out, like what is the worst thing you ever came out with? I mean, if we ignore the writ dye items, all of which I thought were terrible. So you do not recommend writ dye for this. Oh, I, I don't. I, I've seen beautiful results. It, I am not the right person to do yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> I think for me, I've tried a few things where I've tried to be different, where mm-hmm. like I've made a white garment and thought, oh, I'm going to try and wick up, which is something that Karamiya Maui does, mm-hmm. try and wick up some dye into this garment. And I was unsuccessful with that. I thought it came out um, really badly. It's actually, it's hanging on my... Uh, my clothing rack right now, I still haven't even hemmed it because I was so unhappy with how the dye looked and I've well, debated not, whether in that case, it's not ice dyeing, right? No, it, I, yes. So I started with wick dyeing and okay. when I hated that, I um, folded the part that I had wanted to do the wicking on and I mordanted the whole garment, but I folded that part up, put it on my screens, piled ice on it. And tried dyeing it from there, thinking, well, as it goes through, it'll also wick some because it's wet and doesn't have dye on it. Okay. And I, it just, it just wasn't what I wanted. It was very okay. unsatisfying. And I've thought about just re-dyeing the whole thing. Like, yeah. you know, starting over and seeing if I add the same types of colors to it, can I get something that I'd be more satisfied with? But beyond that, usually where I have what I'd call a failure is where I've just I've chosen the combination of colors to go together that didn't. They resulted in something too muddled. So I really love um, wasabi, which is sort of, um, it splits apart into greens and oranges. And I've tried that with a terracotta. And I've ended up with something that was too muddy and not enough of the sort of pistachio green that the wasabi comes out as. And I was dissatisfied there. Other places I've had problems is when I try and build a pattern into the cloth and it turns out it leaves too much of the cloth undyed in a way that I didn't like. And, And I've had a few like that that have been duds. And then I had one that I did primarily in teal where in theory, I should love this fabric but it's in my scrap bin. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. I made a little top out of it. This was one of the DIY daisies, mm-hmm. the one that came out too short because mm-hmm. the pattern didn't allow for the amount of um, boob I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it came out too short. But even though I should love that teal turquoisey sort of color, it turned out I didn't. When it bloomed by itself, it just it just isn't for me. So mostly I if I don't like it, it's not a failure of the dyeing so much as it is. It turns out the colors I used weren't for me. Okay. So if you have a situation where you've got some fabric that it's like, like this is ugly. I don't like it. Can you just then put like, do the, tr- like boil yeah. up the dye and like put it and make it solid color? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's something you could do. You'd have to make sure you remordanted it because as part of the end of the process is, of course, getting the thing out and rinsing it mm-hmm. thoroughly. And mm-hmm. then I'm washing and drying it to find out if I hate it because just because I don't like it when it's wet doesn't mean I won't like it when sure. it's dry. And the opposite's true. There are wet ones where you're like, holy shit, that is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And you get it dried and you're like, I mean, it's really nice, but it's not It's not yes. quite the same as it was when it was wet. But you'd have to remordant and then you should be able to dye it a relative solid. Keep in mind, you now have something that has patchy dye on it and you're yeah. going to be putting a solid over it. So you're still going to have, I think, some variants in the color, even if you're going to black, you're going to have okay. darker blacks and lighter blacks. But I it's see. likely you still that be able going, to see it. You you probably will be able to. Yes, okay. in my okay. experience, you will be able to. Okay, and that almost certainly depends on what dyes are in your base as well, right? Sure. If you've done one that was all light peaches and yellows, and then you dye it black, you may not see much variation. But for a lot of mine, they're very strong colors. Yeah. And so I would imagine, just like if you dyed a printed fabric, that you'd be able to see some variation. So what substrates have you used for this? I have used mostly 100% cotton, 100% linen, and a 85, 95% cotton and 5% lycra for knits. Okay. Now, I've had my grandchildren over to do this, and this is a really great activity for kids in your life. I've invited um, my grandchildren and some of their friends to come over with their parents and told them, you need to bring something that's 100% cotton. And I've linked them things on Amazon to bring. And then they have shown up with 50-50 cotton poly sweatshirts and other things. And we still give it a go. What, What happens is when it is too much poly, which these dyes do not attach themselves to, Mm -hmm. you just end up with a very faded version of what Mm -hmm. you might otherwise have, right? right? Because it's only attaching itself to 50% of your fibers. And when it's blended that way, it's pretty evenly throughout it. The other thing to keep in mind is it doesn't attach itself to poly, which I just mentioned, but that means when you're doing a pre-sewn garment, probably the thread is not being attached to as well. So probably anything you're doing, the thread is 100% white Um, and whatever you've dyed. So if you did mostly dark pinks and blacks, it's going to be super noticeable. And you have to decide if you're good with that. I can tell you that in that scenario, a fine point Sharpie helps a lot (laughs) because Sharpie will, in fact, attach itself to the poly and stay pretty well through washing. Um, But but it's, you know. It's That's, it's fun to do. I recommend it highly with children. Okay. Oh, um, oh, wait, wait, though. I have a friend who comes over about once every month in the summer. She brings a bunch of old Navy t-shirts. I dye yardage. She dyes old Navy t-shirts for the people in her life. And we just hang out and chat. And there's usually like charcuterie and beer. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like a thing. You know what uh, I mean? It's the kind of thing where you could invite someone over. I'm not a drinker, so for me it's it's less the beer, but but we have snacks and we sit and we chat outside in the beautiful weather while while doing this ice dyeing. And this is not a sewist in any way or generally uh-huh. a crafter. Um but she's really fallen for trying all these different styles of dyeing on old navy t-shirts that are 95% cotton or better. Okay. Okay. That's a, <laughs> and it's like, you know, you set it up and then you just sit and chat, right? Like it's not, there's yeah, no, you're not doing anything actively or sometimes we'll spend our time folding. Mm. Like all of our time is folding and, and whatever. The other thing I forgot to mention is that the cleanup on this is complicated. 
because you have a bunch of stuff you can't just pour onto the ground in your yard, right? You've got to have a different way of disposing of it. And for me, where I live with the sun patterns that I have, with the weather that I have, well over 80% of the dyes that I do, um, I leave in a place where it's sunny and the water evaporates and I'm left with the powdered residue of the dye in my bucket. And I clean that out in double bags and it just goes into a bucket that gets recycled when they do that paint recycling in our area. You know, the one where many municipalities will reach out and say, hey, you can bring your paint right now and and you can go dispose of it. So for the most part, mine are the waters evaporating. I'm left with my dyes and that's kind of how I'm managing that. And because my buckets are pretty deep, it's, it's been... It's been more than a year since I had to skim any water off of it and try and dispose of it as a liquid product. That so just isn't my scenario. Why can't you just pour it in your yard and like? Um, because the the because it's it's not food safe. It's like the sort of thing you're not supposed to dump in your yard. I don't know. It's not food safe. It's dies right, and it goes into your water table or something like that. So it's the sort of thing you're not supposed to dump or just rinse straight into your yard. Okay. But I don't, I don't well, know. know. I'm not I'm not really an environmental person. Like yeah. I care generally. I'd like our planet to survive. I'd like my grandchildren and their grandchildren, yeah. et cetera. But I don't really know the details. I know that everything I've read is like, this isn't a thing you should be dumping into your yard. So, okay. well, but, but I discovered almost accidentally that in our summers, it it evaporates pretty quickly and I'm left with just the powder and and I'll continue to have the water go through the the screen into that powder until it hits a point where I'm like, oh well I'm not gonna die for the next couple of weeks so I could scrape that off into bags. Right. I see. I see. But um and I I yeah, anyway, just a, a side note, that's the way I've chosen to take care of it. I, I'm sure there are people who are dumping it into the yard willy nilly. I I just, that's what I read. So I try not to do that. Um. (laughs) Okay. So one final question I have for you is, will these um, ice dyed fabrics be part of your With Love Jenny project? They are intended to be. My hope is that they're, first off, the With Love Jenny is going to have two things it does. One is that I make stuff that's just ready to wear that people can buy directly and say, oh, I like the price point on this. I feel comfortable with the garment. I'm going to purchase this. It's a one of a kind thing. I'm just going to buy it from you. And then those are going to help me to fund sort of special things that are made for people with fat bodies of all sorts that would like, would like to have something and may or may not be able to afford the pricing. That's where the sliding scale comes into play. And with both sides of that, I expect to use my, my dyed fabrics. I have at least 75 yards of undyed fabric sitting here that is ready for me to start dyeing up. I've got 12 yards I recently dyed, keeping in mind that I dye in three to four yard lengths. And I've got enough um, materials. Ice is the material that's really the critical one right now. I've got mm-hmm. enough ice in the house to do another 12 yards right now. So I'm expecting to dye some stuff up either today or during this week. Um, I'm hopeful. I don't know if everybody loves my ice dyes as much as I do, but my hope is there are folks who will be like, oh, what would be my ideal if I could buy a skirt on a sliding scale? It would be ice dyed in these colors or things like that. I'm hopeful that that will be the scenario, but I'll definitely be making them available for sale because I love them. And and part of the point of With Love Jenny is for me to be able to create the things that give me joy Mm -hmm. And then see if there are other people who would also like them. (laughs) 
I was wondering too if maybe um, selling the ice dyed fabric could be part of your funding for. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that at all, but that's a really great idea. And that's something where it would be really easy because part of the project is that pricing transparency to say, this is how much it costs in materials and in labor to create this thing. And there's definitely a labor component to the ice dyeing. It's not obviously the 24 to 48 hours of melting time, but there's, but there's all the, the wrapping and the creating of it. And then the time that goes into rinsing it and getting it into the washer and dryer and all of that stuff. So I I think that's an interesting idea and it's definitely a possibility that I, I hadn't even thought of, but as I'm building the website, which is the stage I'm at right now, I've had the keys turned over to me by my designer and I am working on identifying a diverse group of models that would like Mm -hmm. to trade some modeling for some clothing and I am starting to build those specific product pages, which is the, the part I don't like, like this is the part of the thing I don't want to do, but Mm -hmm. I'm working on that now. And I was blessed to have um, a really awesome graphic artist. You may have met uh, Jim Doran. I'm going to (laughs) say, help me out with um, Duran. Duran. Oh shit. See, I don't even know how it's pronounced. It's writing. Like Duran Duran. Now I want to put a T at the end. Um, <laughs> in any case, Jim really helped me out with uh, my interior care labels for the the garments, which was really wonderful. And I've got garment hang tags and all this stuff going. So now it's just a matter of seeing if I got into the local craft fair that I hope I did. Yay. Um, so whether or not I'll have things that I'm selling there in addition to the things that I'm getting immediately listed on the site. I'm so excited. Anyway, thank you for asking about that. It's I think they will be involved because I think they're wonderful and I hope yeah. other people really love them too. <laughs> I think I'm going to find do. out. <laughs> I think they do. Well, so, yeah. I think that um this was a really good episode. Um, it was fun to to chat with you about that. So are you going to ice dye? I think I might. I think I might try it. Yeah, cuz I, I might wait till you come up and help me. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to make it back up there. So yeah. that's definitely doable. And I can bring some dyes with me. That way we're already all set. Yeah, I've got, be great. yeah, I've got a ton of them. And I, I really, I really enjoy it. It's such a neat, creative practice. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. fun. Awesome. Well, I guess with that, uh, we should let folks know that we really appreciate it when you help to support what we're doing here by subscribing to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash punkfrockers. We also appreciate it when you rate and review the show. If nothing else, it gives each of us a warm feeling when we get to read those reviews. But it also helps folks find our show, um, which is wonderful, which you can also do by liking, sharing, and saving any of our posts on Instagram. Uh, We appreciate you all and thank you so much. And I guess we will see you you next next Tuesday. The Punk Frockers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frockers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.